0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. The topic uh, today is the perfection of equanimity. And it's the last of the ten perfections that uh, I've been slowly covering over the last some ten months or so. And uh, uh, the perfections, for those of you who are new, are ten qualities uh, that grow as a person does mindfulness practice, does Buddhist practice. And there are ten qualities of mind, of heart, that can be cultivated <clears throat> as we do the practice. So they're both, in a sense, the fruit of practice, and they're something that it, um, are actively developed. Uh, and different people will choose different things. Some people don't focus on developing them actively, but will allow them to just develop on their own to some degree. And some people will actually pick up different qu- these qualities, these ten, and work on it for a while, focus on it in their lives for a while. It's said that the, these ten paramis, perfections, um, are a wonderful way of bringing the practice of Buddhism into daily life. And so if you want to develop Buddhist practice, certainly being mindful in daily life is useful. Meditating every day is useful. But um, to look and see how you can uh, uh, cultivate these in daily life is very helpful. So these ten are generosity, integrity or virtue, uh, renunciation, capacity to let go, wisdom, effort, patience, truthfulness, uh, determination or resolve, loving-kindness, and equanimity. So it's possible people will take these one, one of these qualities for a month or something and see, you know, how can I make generosity more part of my life? Or how can I just reflect on it and act on it? And generosity is both a... A, 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 a very important quality of these perfections that makes them a perfection is not generosity and so forth in and of itself, but when these qualities are connected to two other things. When they're either connected to liberation because they help us become freer, or they're connected to compassion because they help, they help us in our compassionate care for the world around us. And I think it's quite beautiful that each of these 10 qualities can be seen as doorways to liberation and as expressions of compassion. And what's, what I think I find beautiful about it is that it means that uh, you don't have to think, about li- think of a liberation and compassion as two different things. Or, 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 or two different tracks, maybe it's better to say. Like, I'm, I'm going to go on the liberation track, forget this compassion stuff. <laughs> or I'm going you know, to, you know, this liberation stuff is selfish, I'm going to go on the you know, care for the world track. But actually, uh, the two can go beautifully together and be cultivated at the same time. So today the topic is equanimity. It's the last one and in a number of lists where equanimity appears in Buddhism. Uh, it often appears last uh, because it's considered to be um, the crown jewel of Buddhist practice. Uh, it's last partly because uh, it's one of the last things that's matured or fully developed in the course of developing Buddhist practice. It's said that when equanimity is quite strong its the uh, closest thing a person will, uh, closest approximation a person can have of what uh, final liberation is like, the final release it's like. Uh, sometimes it's called a pseudo-nirvana. And uh, because it's so beautiful and has a lot of the same qualities. Um, the word equanimity, I don't think a lot of people use it in their active vocabulary. Maybe some of you do, but I think it's, you know, it's kind of, people kind of know what it means, but it's not that often used. So there are other more colloquial words in English that express this nicely uh, that maybe could be uh, substitutes, Uh, or an expression we often use, uh, I don't know about everybody, but much more often is used in popular English is um, to be balanced. People say, I feel imbalanced, or I need to find some balance. So the idea of being balanced in one's life. Uh, Another one is being centered, you know, I kind of blew it uh, and because I wasn't so centered, and so I think I need to be centered before I, next time I go do this. So then we do things to get centered. Um, uh, a steadiness. Sometimes people have you know, uh, you know, that person was really steady. You know, it was a steady parent, a steady at work, always steady, always a reliable and steady, unruffled. Um, is Another expression to be uh, you know. All kinds of things can happen at work, or in family, or in life, and uh, some people are uh, not so ruffled by it. Their feathers are not ruffled, which sometimes I think refers to um, um, their conceit doesn't get aroused. They don't get kind of huffy about something. But I think it just also means unruffled means just they don't get disturbed by what goes on. They just stay calm in the middle of it all. Uh, Sometimes, when we use the word equanimity, uh, some people um, are not very equanimous about hearing that (coughs) in Buddhism because uh, it lends itself in some people's minds to the idea of indifference, of being somehow aloof. And maybe because they've known people who have somehow not been reactive, but they kind of held themselves back aloof or been indifferent, you know, it's all okay, you know, and they don't kind of of not seems to be like not caring if you're your equanimous means you don't care and I've t- been told by a number of people that they in their family of origin that the way that uh, care or love or the familial connection was kind of established or made was by worrying together and uh, if you didn't if you didn't worry about the other person or worry then how do you know how could that person know that you loved and cared And so worry then becomes very important and so people sometimes have this strong conditioning to uh, react in all kinds of ways or if you don't worry then you're kind of aloof or not there for me completely. Uh, The the idea of equanimity in Buddhism is not meant to be aloof or indifferent, um, unfeeling. In fact it's meant to be a very strong feeling, kind of like an emotion or kind of like a feeling that is really sublime, really beautiful. Uh, People who experience strong equanimity will report that it's one of the most beautiful things, beautiful feelings, emotions you can experience as opposed to some kind of, you know, you're just kind of dull and blank and kind of unfeeling. uh, So the, the kind of the definition of equanimity in Buddhism is that uh, it means that you don't get caught up in attraction and repulsion, attraction and rejection. The movements of being for and against, which are so strong in the mind, some of it's appropriate and some of it's not. But whether it's appropriate or not, the movement to desire for something or to move away from something out of aversion uh, is often something that we get hooked into very quickly. So it's kind of automatic. And the authority sometimes of our w- wanting things and not wanting things, reacting to things, can be quite strong. Part of the function of equanimity is to have the balance or the relaxedness or the openness, the wisdom, to, ha- to not get caught up in the, in the desires, the aversions we might have, the for's and against. It doesn't mean we don't have desires and aversions, but they don't have the upper hand. They don't, they don't run us. We can see it arise in in a clear mind, and we can have the wisdom then to decide: should I act on this or should I not? So we're not we're not the slave of the impulses that arrive within us. So um, <clears throat> equanimity also. Uh, um, there's many kinds of equanimity in Buddhism, and it's kind of I don't know if it's like I don't know if it's actually true, but I mean you know this the cliche that um, and uh, Eskimos in Alaska have, you know, a lot, a lot of different words for snow. And we have only one. Actually, we have more than one ourselves. But I guess they have a lot more. And um, <clears throat> because they live in the snow, and so they, they differentiate in all the little in ways that we don't. So uh, Buddhists live in the snow of equanimity. And, and so Buddhists differentiate between all kinds of different flavors and aspects of equanimity. One aspect of equanimity is that uh, it involves a certain kind of uh, way, warm-hearted connection to other people. But a warm-hearted connection, we, we don't get caught up in the for's and against. We don't get caught up in the preferences, uh, that person versus someone else. We don't get caught up in uh, discouragement and elation, depending on those relationships. And that's why in the list of the paramis, these perfections, it said that equanimity follows loving-kindness, goodwill, the friendliness, because it perfects loving-kindness. Isn't that beautiful? So rather than kind of removing you from the world of loving-kindness and making you somehow indifferent, the equanimous, it actually perfects it. And one way that perfects it is that then your loving-kindness can be impartial. Then you can have your loving-kindness be equal. Uh, uh, Apply to all beings um, rather than just to you know, the people who you feel close to in some way, so there are two um, or maybe three ways of looking at this Buddhist equanimity that I want to mention today one is that equi- or how equanimity comes about one is that it comes about from wisdom from understanding the other is it comes about from um, uh, the inner qualities that get developed, the inner strength, the inner capacities that get developed. And the third is it gets developed by practicing equanimity, by, through practice itself. So wisdom is very closely connected to equanimity, and in fact the Pali word for equanimity is upekka, and upekka Uh, upa is a prefix means kind of like above or from a distance and the k part uh, comes from the word to see and so it's sometimes uh, translated as to have an overview of a situation to be able to step back and look at the bigger picture of a situation so that we're not kind of pulled into it or caught by it and so what are some of the uh, ways of wisdom or ways of having some overview situation um One is um, in terms of interpersonal life is to uh, have the wisdom that helps us not to react to the interpersonal things that go on there 's a story of the Dalai Lama, or i've been mean told you know that, uh, that you know the Dalai Lama is often you know people many people in our circles in the West think he 's the greatest you know but uh, there are people in the world who think the opposite and uh who 's reviled and as an enemy and all kinds of things and when he's asked about this he says it doesn't bother him because he knows himself well enough that he knows his own intention he knows his intention is clean is that his mind is you know he's nothing to regret or feel bad about and so he takes refuge in, in in the purity of his own mind rather than take refuge in the criticism or the praise that other people provide him. Many people live very very actively concerned with how other people praise them or blame them. And some people spin out quite a bit and do a tremendous amount of social gymnastics to avoid one and gain the other in some way. And one of the ways of the wisdom is to realize that Maybe praise and blame is overrated, and that what's what's better rated, what's more important, is uh, the inner purity, the inner goodness of your own mind, or your own ability to track your own mind, so you can be responsible for what you act on in there, and then people can blame, can blame you, but you know that you have nothing nothing to be blamed for. Um, there's a uh, fun I think it's a fun story that. Maybe it's worth saying again, some of you are new to Buddhism perhaps, new enough that this old Buddhist story of, of uh, there was a monk in Japan, I think, it, I'm not sure, it was either Hakuin or Ryokan or somebody in the 1700s who um, was a village monk and one day a teenage girl, a teenage woman, in the village, um, out of uh, had a baby, baby gave birth, and or she was pregnant and she was going to give birth, and the and she was made pregnant by one of the teenage boys in the village, but when she was asked by her parents, you know, who's the father, she wasn't going to say, she didn't want to get her boyfriend in trouble, so finally she said, the monk. <laughs> 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 and so when the baby was born, the parents came to the monk with the baby and said, this is yours. And his response was, is that so? And he took the baby in and cared for the baby. And then after some time, probably not too long, the teenage girl uh, had some change of heart. And so she went to the parents and said, you know, know, it's not really what I said. And so then um, the the parents went to the monk and said, it turns out you're not the father. Give us the baby back. And uh, the monk said, is that so? and hand the monk back, the baby back. So a certain kind of equanimity, uh, the equanimity of not getting caught up in blame, (coughs) praise, in gain and loss, uh, is considered a very important aspect of a wise life in Buddhism. (coughs) So uh, having the wisdom to understand what is important in life and what is not important. I'm sure that many of you already have cultivated a fair or have a fair amount of equanimity around things that other people in our society don't. And you know each of you can choose your own favorite thing but um, um, generally people who come to IMC uh, you know generally um, don't seem to be too caught up in wearing suits and ties and you know fancy expensive clothes and I think that this population, people tend to come here, tend to be much more equanimous about, or not so concerned about their clothes in the kind of way that some people in society can be. <clears throat> Though perhaps you're so concerned about it, you figured out the right dress for IMC. <laughs> 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 and, you know, once... <laughs> and so when you go home, you quickly change. And <laughs> Another uh, piece of wisdom, a very important wisdom teaching in Buddhism that's meant to help us to have more equanimity or balance is um, especially connected to their, our goodwill or caring feelings for other people, is to appreciate that uh, other people make their own choices and therefore are responsible for the consequences of those choices. And rather than us feeling that like we're responsible it's been one of my Achilles heels, is my sense of responsibility, Uh, I'm responsible for other people's happiness or whatever. And so I have had to kind of learn a lot about how that works for me. But this teaching that understanding that uh, the the teaching of karma in Buddhism has a lot to do with appreciating that people make their own choices. They're their own agents of choice. And if they keep making the same poor choices, um, it's their responsibility in a sense, the consequences of that. So you might care a lot for a person. You might try to help the person. But if you can't help them, or your help doesn't work because they keep making choices that are not 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 healthy or appropriate, um, then you don't you don't get um, um, you don't succumb to despair or to anger or to discouragement or some uh, some feeling. You stay, you stay balanced. You don't get pulled into that world. See, I've done what I could do. You've made choices here. So you know you'll have to live those consequences. I care about you. I'll offer support I can, but I'm not going to follow you down that into that that dungeon. I'm not going to follow you down in there. Um, when we can when we can help someone, we help. When we can rejoice with them, we re- rejoice. When we can share in their good fortune, we share in that good fortune. But we can, when, when they kind of do things that we can either help in or rejoice in or support, then having some balance, being centered, is a very important part of our love, our capacity to love. And I like it to think of it as goodwill or love because in love and goodwill, we're available. We don't shut anybody out. We're always available. You can come back here to me But if you keep making these choices then you know you're gonna have to do this consequences, live out the consequences, but I'm always here ready for you to receive you when you come back from jail. Or wherever, you know, whatever you're you're going. Another very interesting uh, wisdom teaching in Buddhism uh, that supports equanimity is, um, is encapsulated in a, a one-sentence teaching the Buddha gave. Um, and I love this little one sentence. And I love it because it's a good sentence, it's a good teaching to um, debate, argue with, struggle with, try to come up with exceptions, see if you can come up with a better answer, you know, something. You know, to kind of really work with it, you know. And that's the sentence, nothing whatsoever is worth clinging to. So are you a worthy opponent for that st- statement? Take that up and see, you know, nothing whatsoever is worth clinging to. And then see if you can come up with something. Well yes, maybe some things, but I got a really good one. You know, I think I need to cling to X, Y, and Z. And then, but really look at it deeply. Is it really the case? Is it really t- for your best interest to get attached and to cling to what you think you need to cling to, that's important to cling to? Are there other are alternatives, other ways of uh, taking care of yourself and taking care of the things without clinging and grasping? It's kind of like uh, people who come to me and say, um, anger is really important. And without anger, how am I going to fight for justice? And it's a, it's a beautiful thing to fight for justice and, you know, there's things that need to be, in a sense, stopped or changed in, in life. But is anger the best motivator to act in the world? Are there alternatives? And I would like to believe, I believe, <clears throat> that a better alternative that can be as passionately engaging of our energy and our effort is, com- is compassion. That we can, if we're, our compassion can be the motivator rather than anger. And I think it has better consequences in the world if we come from compassion rather than from anger. So to look at the statement, nothing whatever is worth clinging to, and if you feel that something is worth clinging to, spend some time in looking Is an alternative. Now the connection with equanimity is that um, the lo- loss of equanimity comes from clinging. Clinging, resisting, holding on to some idea or something that we want strongly. So, so it's said that the one form of equanimity comes from wisdom, understanding, having an overview of the situation, some understanding that shifts our perspective on it. The second kind of uh, connection, to, uh, uh, what brings about equanimity, are is, is inner inner strengths that get developed. Kind of like if you um, if you go maybe I don't know if it works a well example of it, but you go to the gym and you work out. And uh, some people find after working out in the gym they feel a stronger, and they come out and they just feel more balanced, more in their body, more rooted somehow. I don't know, like right, heavier or stronger or something. And so you're you're more able to withstand some of the some of the disruptions of daily life a little bit better because of that strength and stability that comes from having exercised. So the same thing with the mind. If you practice, if you develop yourself, like you develop yourself, you know, muscles in the gym. If you develop your mind, then you develop these strengths and capacities within. And so, the the idea of being balanced is a second meaning of equanimity: to have a balance, to be centered. So to be balanced, uh, so that um, uh, no no matter what happens to you, uh, you can keep your center. Someone, you don't have a lot of wisdom about, you know, don't... if someone praises you or someone criticizes you, you don't have a lot of wisdom about how to relate to that. But you're so relaxed and balanced and centered in yourself that it doesn't really strike you very much. It doesn't push you over. Uh, you, you know, you're, you're bigger than the state, bigger than You're kind of bigger than the statement. So the story in my book, um, A Monastery Within, where... The abbess says, um, some people, no, if, if, a, if a fly lands on an ant, a fly is usually bigger than ants. It's, it's a big deal for the ant. But if the fly lands on an elephant, it's nothing for the elephant. The elephant hardly notices. So the abbess says, uh, "You know what, uh, who are you? What do you want to be? Do you want to be an ant or an elephant? You'll have a lot of problems in your life, but if you relate to your problems like an elephant, you'll have a very different relationship to them if you develop them, relate to them like an ant. So you can develop and cultivate inner strengths, a sense of bigness, a sense of power, a sense of efficacy, that difficult things can occur to you and you have confidence, you have stability, you have lots of space and room in your mind. So some of this balance comes from uh, having strong mindfulness. The strength of mindfulness creates space and room in the mind so you can see clearly what's happening as they happen. And if you can see things as they happen, then it's a a little bit more difficult to get um, um, blindsided by the feelings, desires and wishes you have. You can see it arise, you can see it be there, and you can see you have choice, but whether to get picked up, pick it up, or get involved in it. So as mindfulness gets stronger and stronger, there's greater, a little bit more space or room in the mind, to be, to not react, and that gives birth to equanimity, not reacting, not being for or against. Um, part of the balance then is to be balanced between over exertion. And under exertion in practice, to be over enthusiastic about practice or under enthusiastic about practice. Some people swing between them. Oh, this is the best thing! Boy, I can't wait until I get. Uh, you know. Um, you know. I tell everyone about how wonderful the practice is, and I'm just going to go gung ho. And then we go gung ho into practice for a while—five, six minutes. And it's not going, as, you know, as well as we expected it to. He said, "Oh, this this is terrible. This is a drag. This is impossible. I can't do this. You know, why should I even bother? I think this Buddhism is overrated." <laughs> and um, and so then we get discouraged. We don't make any effort. But uh, part of the function of balance is not to be swayed by the for and against, not be over enthusiastic and not under enthusiastic, but kind of a matter of fact that hold steady in it all. So as practice develops, there's all these uh, stronger, these qualities of heart and mind that get developed that become strengths. So uh, confidence, uh, effort or inner strength, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom, all, all get developed and strengthened. And as they become stronger, there's more equanimity. The th- uh, third aspect of developing equanimity Uh, uh, is practice itself where we uh, kind of a little bit like the second one but where we do get reactive we do get caught up in force and against but we take it on to look at that to investigate it to become familiar with it because one of the really the wisest ways of becoming equanimous is not to hold yourself in some equanimous way balanced way but rather to study how you're unequanimous to study how you're re- reactive, to become really wise about how your anger gets triggered, really wise about your relationship to, to uh, desire. To really look at all this and study it. And, once you, and if you stu- even if you get caught, it's a huge difference between being caught and studying it versus just being caught. So the practice is to look and study uh, what's going on here as I get caught by things? What do I believe um, in it all? As we kind of step back and look at it that way, investigate it, then uh, we can question some of the things that go on within us. We can um, um, shift our perspective perhaps. We can step back and discover that um, we are not our desires. We are not our aversions. And most important, we are not our thoughts. And one of the most useful ways of developing equanimity uh, is to, and one of the wise ways, uh, especially in meditation, is to begin to step away from living in our thoughts. Stepping away from holding on or reacting or living with whatever thought your mind can produce. And your mind can produce many, many thoughts and just allow them to arise, but don't do anything with them. Sometimes the mind is very claustrophobic, where the mind, the, the, the outer limits of the mind that we live in, is thinking itself. You know, there's no sense of any mind beyond thinking. As practice develops, um, the, uh, the sense of what the mind is becomes bigger than just thinking. And there's a greater space and awareness for feelings, for Emotions, but most important for awareness. And awareness gets bigger and bigger. And as equanimity matures, then uh, there's a sense of purity and clarity in the mind that arises. Kind of like a clear, I think of it as a clear, like clarity, that, I don't know, a great sense of clarity, kind of clean clarity. And also a great a sense of vastness. A vast space. So just in the vastness or openness and as the mind begins feeling vast, beautifully vast, the outer limits of the mind just almost can seem boundless at times, then the tendency to live in the claustrophobic world of thought has decreased dramatically. And so then you realize a thought arises. It could be the, most, the world's most terrible thought that anybody's ever had and it just floats up and you don't pick it up it just kind of floats around this great big space or you can have the most beautiful thought a human being's ever had and you don't get all wrapped up around it, it just floats up and because you realize that the vast clarity the vast beauty is so much more beautiful and, spe- and and valuable and satisfying than picking up the particular thought you might have and so in that kind of freedom of the mind of vastness of clarity of peace no matter if things are Pleasant or unpleasant, no matter if you get uh, if you um, have praise or blame, no matter if um, things are happening according to the way you like it or not like it, uh, you, the mind doesn't get ruffled, It stays balanced, it stays open. As the mind stays more and more balanced or centered or unruffled, there's less agitation in the mind, and when there's and as the mind gets agi- less and less agitated. Um, it's easier and easier and easier for the mind to let go. And one of the primary functions of equanimity in strong Buddhist practice is to prepare the mind, help the mind feel, prepare the mind by helping the mind feel very balanced, unagitated, but also very satisfied, very peaceful. Feel a certain kind of delight and joy so that when the mind is ready, it can let go fully. The function of Buddhist practice is not to end up living an equanimous life so much as it is to live a life that has let go. And then people want to ask, well, what is, what is it like to be a person who has let go fully? And then you can come back to the ten perfections then a person who is fully let go is not like Mr. Natural sitting in the desert, but rather is someone for whom the Ten Perfections characterizes how they live in the world. They're someone who is generous, has integrity, has the ability to let go, has patience, has energy, has... Wisdom has truthfulness, has determination, has loving kindness, and has equanimity. But the particular ways that those 10 things will manifest in someone who's let go fully can be rather idiosyncratic. So don't think that it has to look what you think it's supposed to look like. Don't think that you're supposed to look like some conventional idea of what a person's like. <clears throat> who knows who you'll be when you're free? So, I hope that was okay for the ten perfections. <laughs> And if it's not okay, I'll be equanimous about that. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, we have five minutes. So those of you who would like to stay for just five minutes or so, um, I'll give a little update about the retreat center. Otherwise, you...